risk profiling forms a key part of any good wealth creation strategy. On the back of his recent blog, Pete's going to run us through understanding risk profiling as well as Picarda's approach to risk profiling and Picarda's steps on how we go about doing the risk profiling process. Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor and if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Collective Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Masters, and as always, I'm joined by my other co-host, Pete Pennycott. Pete, welcome. Hey Zach, how are you going? Feeling uh, feeling fresh there? Looking very, you're blending into your background well. Okay, <laughs> I got the white shirt and the white background, and the white skin at the moment. <laughs> um, so at the moment, this week, you've written a, a blog discussing risk profiling. It's something we haven't touched on um, for a little bit uh, on the episode. It's sort of something we mention um, here and there. But what prompted you to, to start a, a blog about understanding risk profiling this week? Yeah, look, I think, look, People have uh, had their resolve tested in recent times. There's been a lot of volatility. Um, people's superannuation balances, investment portfolio balances have all come under, yeah, significant stress to put it mildly. Um, and if you've been paying attention, um, potentially it's driving a lot of, I think, bad behavior from an investment perspective. So um, and we're seeing this a lot of like ASICs released the study, same sort of, um, the amount of trades and investment accounts being opened up sort of in excess of 300% increase. Um, Warning out, didn't they, this, this week? Yeah, so it's um, that, that hit home that there's probably um, like fear and greed are, are really taking grip of uh, people's investment decisions and that's, that's dangerous. That's, that leads to poor investment performance and ultimately um, if people do that and have a bad experience and it potentially scars them and stops them from investing their money in the future and then ultimately they're going to have less wealth you know um, probably so more reliance on Centrelink and those sort of things and not potentially reach their goal so i think if you can get this right um it's one of the core um part, you know tenants and core sort of foundations of building an investment portfolio that is not going to leave you sick and um, losing sleep at night definitely so we've got a few slides that we're going to go through for so those of you that just normally listen to the audio we're going to we're recording via zoom today and um, hopefully going to be checking this up on, on YouTube. So to make sure you, you have a look and subscribe, chuck us a follow. Um, but we've got the slides up there. Now, the main part is, so let's start off with, why is risk profiling so important for you as an advisor? Uh, so I, th I think it, it sets the tone for um, a really robust conversation. Um, if you're not addressing risk early on and framing that investments come with risk, there's a reason you get paid a return above the risk-free rate. Uh, and it's because there's volatility and there's risk involved. So um, we need to sort of address that early in the piece and have a really you know, frank and open conversation. And that's what it is. It's a conversation because no questionnaire, no sort of computer system going to be able to pick up all the nuances and really understand what you're comfortable with. And then that's the starting point. So then we can sort of go and try and build a portfolio that fits, that's fit for purpose and it's fit for you uh, and your individual circumstances. So that's why I think uh, from a starting point, um, it's there. And I, look, I enjoy those conversations because it's a 
good chance to have a chat. That's, uh, even when you're sort of dealing with couples or if it's a, uh, even a larger group, so it's a family investment. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see the different dynamics and um, generally, yeah, a lot of the time spouses have very, very different views of what risk is and what they're comfortable with. So it's well, that's why it's important that um, each individual spouse has a has a different um, or does their own risk profile as well, isn't it? Because some, yeah. sometimes people think, oh, we'll just do one together. Um, but they might have very different views. Yeah, look, it's, it's fantastic. Like, I love the human element of it. It's a bit of, bit of fun as well. And you get to uh, have a few funny conversations that come off the back of it. And there's obviously a few little personal anecdotes that um, no doubt come from this about who was the bigger risk taker and why and uh, more of how they've applied that in their personal life. So, uh, yeah. Uh, now, with the, when you're talking about risk um, profiles, it's kind of made up of three main things, isn't it? It's the risk tolerance, the risk required and the risk capacity. Um, can you talk us through that a little bit more? Yeah, I think look, bringing all these elements together is how you start to not just look at it as pure, like what you're comfortable with, because that's not, that's only one part of the, the puzzle. Then you've got to sort of overlay it and say, like bring it together for why are we doing your financial plan? So why are we constructing this portfolio? It's ultimately to achieve some sort of goal. Uh, that goal might be financial, it might be to, to fund the lifestyle or a sort of a purchase of an asset in the future. So we've got a, a goal out into the future. Uh, so we need to understand, well, yeah, what you're comfortable with, but also what level of risk do you need to take? So uh, all different levels of risk have on av like average returns attached to them. So you can't take no risk and expect high returns. So the, you know, it's a, a sliding scale of, you know, the higher the risk generally, what you, you should be expecting a higher return for taking that extra risk. And then capacity like is the other element of going, how much risk can you take sort of without putting your objective at risk as well? Um, so all of these, like what you're comfortable with, what you need to take and what you, you know, how much you can take without, well, you know, sort of putting at risk your, um, the actual objectives we're trying to achieve, all of those together uh, overlaid with those conversations and, you know, with your, I guess, objectives in mind, that's how we bring together risk profiling. Yeah. And risk profile, and it is there, as we've touched on, it's assists in determining your tolerance to risk. It's a process that most advisors would use to determine the, the optimal level of risk. And that's what it's about, is it's finding the balance between, um, you know, what are you comfortable with, but we still need to be able to make sure that we're meeting your goals and objectives as well. And it uses a mix of tools, which we'll run through a little bit later about Picard's process as to how um, we do risk profiling but it's there to provide insight into the right level of volatility for your investments. Um, now, each risk profile has a different asset allocation between growth and defensive. Now, do you want to touch on what's a growth asset and what's a defensive asset? Yeah, so um, generally, uh, you're going through the risk profiling process to try and we need to systemize it in some way. Uh, and that, it's never a perfect fit. And it's about trying to find the, what, what feels right and then you know, managing that over time. So that's why you know, financial planning, I've said it over and over again, and, and investment planning, it's a, it's a journey, it's a process, it's not a, a transaction. So it needs attention and it needs sort of tweaking over time. Um, and the split between growth and defensive is really how we moderate the volatility and effectively the risk. So. Um, so, yeah, in terms of growth assets, shares, property, uh, potentially like infrastructure, those sort of things fall into that bucket as well. So these are things where the, the, the capital value will fluctuate probably like more significantly than defensive assets. So you think of the property 
the value of a property will go up and down. The value of a company, be it CSL, BHP, um, or the banks, uh, those sort of things will go, will rise and fall depending on the sentiment or sort of um, what people's perceived value of the business is. Um, defensive assets more traditionally are, are things like fixed income, bonds, term deposits, cash. So these are less volatile on the capital side, um, but they generally will be. So you can have very um, volatile um, periods with fixed interest as well, depending on what, you know, read beyond the label. Um, but yeah, lower chance of capital loss, uh, and generally more, the return element is more income in nature. Yeah. Um, and when we're talking about the asset allocations between growth and defensive, there are a few different um, risk profiles that um, we do use. And that's the way that we break down between how much is allocated to a growth asset and how much is allocated to a defensive. So do you want to run us through the five main types? Yeah, these are just bands. Look, and people put different labels on it. And I've gone through different iterations of what we call them, but... Traditionally, they'll run from anything from low growth or defensive, um, and we sort of go up to sort of high growth, where it's predominantly you just you're basically invested in all growth assets and have a little bit of cash. Smack bang in the middle, like we use a five risk profile system, so right in the middle of that is the traditional like the balanced, um, and this is where yeah um, most people fit somewhere close to balance. Like that's just naturally when you think of a a bell curve of investors um, that where a lot of people sit. Uh, and you hear it a lot as well with superannuation. A lot of the time, the default option is a, a balanced option or a balanced growth option. Um, mm. And It's important sort of, to note too, while we're on that point, is that not all um, investments that you see the balanced um, yeah. name of it are necessarily 60% growth as we've got put down here. Like they can, that can fluctuate greatly between what another provider or another in, um, super provider might say is balanced. Yeah, and that's why I think, like, yeah, the names are good because they give context and it's easier for people to digest and sort of understand what they are and sort of what they mean. Um, but, like, underneath these, like, we sort of um, flip between sort of calling, like, conservative is a 40% allocation to growth, whereas a growth investor is 80% growth asset. Um, so the more growth assets you have, the more volatility you get, but also the higher expected return over longer periods of time. So um, where the risk is, is you need to understand that in the short term, the more growth assets you add is going to be significantly more risk and significantly more volatile. Um, yeah. But those things do smooth out over time. So um, yeah, that, that's how we sort of um, work through those. Uh, and I think it's important. You've got to look beyond this and they are just sort of their bands and there's flexibility built into them because there's times where you'll be you'll overweight to, towards growth assets because it's a it's an yeah advantageous period to sort of reallocate money more towards different asset classes, um, and even under then you've got sub asset classes. So you might go well yeah I want equities well but I want to split that between Australian equities and some of that I want mid cap versus micro cap, and globally I, I want regional focus to the US or I really want to overweight towards Asia. Um, there's a lot of nuances that sit underneath these, but as a whole, what you're trying to do is create a, an expected level of volatility and expected level of return over long periods of time. Yeah. Now, how do you go about doing the process at Picata? So do you want to run us through the step-by-steps um, that you go through to, to get, a, get a risk profile for a client? Yeah, look, we, like we get onto it pretty early. So like generally, once you've engaged us to sort of work on a, a, your financial advice project or a strategy, um, we'll get send out a, um, 
an online risk profile questionnaire. We use Stinometrica. Uh, we find sort of they're um, one of the most robust. There's, some, there's a lot of science that goes into it. Um, and it's not just, um, yeah, a vanilla uh, investment one. It has a lot of behavioral um, research to support it. So the questions actually do challenge you a little bit and help us understand how you're going to behave in certain scenarios. Uh, and the important notes and thing to note there is like we make sure um, if you're if there's more than uh, one decision maker. So if there's a spouse, they're doing it separately. Um, we don't like people cheating and doing it like one person doing both the tests. Um, we it's need very rare that sure. if you see a couple too, it's very rare that um, they'll come back looking the same. Yeah, and I think like yeah, and I think like once those first that first cut of um, results come in, yeah, to check in hey, this is what the result came out at. Is that what you expected? And actually one of the questions on there is what did you think you would land out? Mm. Um, and then is this right? Does this feel right? Well, let's have a conversation about it um, because this is what you're saying your goal is. Um, are we on track? Does, is this gonna feel right? Here's the expected sort of ranges of returns. Here's the expected ranges of volatility for this type of investor. Um, and then sort of we move on and then agree to sort of map that to one of those sort of different asset allocations and risk profiles. Uh, and that sort of, that's, yeah, that's for the starting point. And then we go and construct the portfolio and overlay you know, investment preferences on top of that as well. So that's, that's generally how we get going. And um, it changes over time because people's circumstances change, your, uh, your needs change. So you, know, you might be ahead of your goals. So then you might not need as much risk or you might dial it back or as you near yeah. retirement, you might become a bit more conservative in nature and, um, or you sort of, yeah, you just don't feel like putting things at risk and you're sleeping at, not sleeping at night or, um, it might the be other like, one. Yeah, yeah. The other one that I commonly see is that, um, you know, people who've just started or just getting started investing, they might be a bit more, um, nervous or, or worried about the, the potential losses at the start. Um, and then once they get used to investing and they um, start to understand it a bit more, um, their tolerance for risk can potentially grow, go up as well. Um, yeah, so no, knowledge gives play. you that. I think experience and knowledge, you get to know yourself a lot better. Um, and you know it's not permanent. Like these market downturns, are, they're just a part of it. So you, the more you go through, you go, oh, okay, you sort of steal a little bit more, uh, your nerves a little bit better. Um, or you'd go the opposite way and go, hang on, I was like it during the GFC it was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. Uh, I'd never want to go through that again. And that's good as well. You just got to be, have awareness on who you are. There's no right risk profile for anyone. Um, and sometimes you might need to recalibrate your goals and objectives because you're not prepared to take more risk. Um, so I think that's why it's so important to look at all the other elements. And this is not, you know, you can't just do risk profiling, build a portfolio and expect it to be the perfect solution. Um, it's just one, you know, one tool in the toolkit uh, from a portfolio and sort of financial planning um, perspective. And you need to monitor it. You need to review it regularly and just do a check-in uh, and have conversations. If you're part of a couple that's doing investments, you've got to talk about these things because we don't want one, one member of the, uh, the investment sort of decision-making team to uh, be you know stressing about it, and the other ones, yeah, oh, this is fine, this is great. Um, yeah, picturing that dog sitting there with the, the flames going around the coffee with the mug. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is fine. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's an important part of your ongoing strategy management. Um, and then underneath it, your asset allocation sort of 
bands, you'll move your investment portfolio between them as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that pretty much sums up most of it, unless there's anything that you wanted to add um, to that, Pete, or anything. No, look, I think that's right. I think that's good. I think people, yeah, if they want to give it a crack, we're happy to, um, yeah, um, run people through the test if they're interested. So just sort of get in touch with us on any of the different channels. And um, yeah, I think it's a good, just awareness from an investment perspective is really good. So I think it's sets you in good stead and um, just get started and make sure you review it as well. Don't, um, don't think it's going to last with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, definitely. Very good. Well, thanks for that. As always, hit us up on any of our socials if you have any questions or emails at connect at Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for that. See ya.